2: Oh my God! Somebody. I am so
1: excited. Back at you! So oh my God! Oh my God! We got the book! Oh my God! Um, and I'm so excited because we have Esther Blum on today, and she is going to talk to us about everything from perimenopause to menopause and her own story. And you have an um, incredible story. You and I actually had dinner together. What was that? A few months ago, you were in Manhattan Beach. Yeah. And uh, I, I'm just going to give you the punchline right now. You were like. Getting on hormones was the best thing I ever did. And then, of course, I parked up and told Danny all about it, of course. So we've been been talking about it, but we were like, we need to get someone on The Best Life to talk about all of this stuff because Danny and I are in our early 40s and some stuff is happening. And we want to learn from you, the expert, and tell our people, because our people honestly listen to this podcast are just like us, um, midlife. What is going on? So and before we get started, <laughs> let's go ahead and just get a little, uh, little background info, tell the people all about you and sort of how you kind of came up to this, uh, came into the space, and then how you wrote this book, See You Later, Ovulator, which is awesome. Mm. We're going to talk a lot about it today.
2: Thank you. Well, okay, I'm so stoked to be with you both. You know, I love the hell out of both of you. and um, so yeah, I'm Esther Blum, I'm an integrative dietitian and menopause expert, and this is my fifth book, written many before this. My son calls me the Vagina Doctor, even though I am not <laughs> not a vagina doctor, not a doctor. but um, but yeah, I, I wrote to you later Ovulator because I was really pissed off and frustrated at the rampant medical gaslighting that women go through every single day. Um, 6,000 of us go through menopause every single day. And I think it's only 59% of medical schools even have it on the curriculum. Mm -hmm. And of that, like uh, at least 50% of uh, GYNs are under 50 right now. So they're not, and, and they're not, comfortable prescribing hormones. There's a great New York Times article actually with some great stats in it called We Have All Been Misled About Menopause uh, that just came out like two weeks ago before we are recording this. But yeah, so uh, women are all, every single one of us goes through menopause. We're half of the population and it just, the doctors are not given the tools, even though like, I'm like, if you're a female doctor, wouldn't you want to know this for yourself? Um, And and uh, even though all of the myths around cancer scares and the detrimental effects of hormones have all been debunked, like pamphlets in doctor's offices and on prescriptions at pharmacies have not been out updated yet. So they're still very outdated. They're just getting the crap out of women. I'm constantly answering questions on Instagram like, this is going to cause cancer. Stop spreading myths. You're you're dangerous Damn. what you're telling people constantly. And I'm like, I put 20 pages of research studies in the back of the book, and that's not even the tip of the iceberg. So like, we've got work to do, people.
0: Yeah. What's the biggest myth you think that's going
2: around that is harming people? The biggest myth is, oh my God, where to start? Number one, women don't need hormones, which is that to me was another reason why I was like, fuck this. When I heard you know, hours and hours and hours of lectures from doctors who are practicing with patients and giving the science. Again, like for me, this was never an emotional issue. I had no attachment to whether you had to have hormones or not, but I but the research is so compelling because women who don't who who go through menopause, and obviously we'll talk about the lifestyle pieces. Hormones are a slice of the pie. They're not the fix all. But women who are going through menopause and don't receive estrogen lose bone. They lose gray Mm -hmm. matter in the brain. So we all know someone, right? We all have a family member or a relative or a a friend whose parents have Alzheimer's, have dementia. When does dementia start and Alzheimer's? It starts really 20 years before symptoms appear. So women go through menopause 20 years prior And they weren't put on estrogen and they're losing gray matter in the brain. I'm like, holy shit, we could eradicate memory care units if women just got these micro doses of hormones. So um, Mm -hmm. estrogen and progesterone and testosterone all contribute to cognitive function. Testosterone actually helps with bone density. Women don't realize like testosterone is the predominant hormone in a woman's body prior to menopause. So, well, Jill, you probably do with all your training experience. But, and like the cognitive function, the mood benefits, right? Women are constantly given antidepressants during menopause when they just are deficient in progesterone and some estrogen. So, wow, so many benefits. And also, like offsetting the risk of heart disease and, uh, you know, cardiovascular inflammation. Awesome. I want to dig into all of that crazy. stuff. Um, but let's take a step back
1: and just talk about. The average woman you know late 30s, early 40s and I'll I think I'll speak for Danny when I say this too there's a lot of stuff that's on social media that's like you might be in perimenopause if and it's like a list of stuff, right And I'm finding myself like more and more looking at these lists being like yep, check that, check that, check that. So can you especially with the people that you work with in your clinic, what are some of the these um what are some of the symptoms that would tell someone okay things are starting to change in your body you're heading towards menopause like as much as we want to escape it everyone like we're, it, we're it's coming for us so like and it doesn't yeah. necessarily have to be something super scary but what are like what's actually happening in the body when you're in perimenopause and then approaching menopause
2: so the physical symptoms you're going to see, first of all, start paying attention to your periods, because number one, they can start to get off kilter schedule-wise. They can get closer together, shorten cycles to 21 days, or even like 26 days if you're normally 28 days, um, or they can get longer, like you can flow for more days. Um, a lot of women report crime scene periods where it's like just hemorrhagic, lots of clots. Yep, you're like, Check. Also, your sleep uh, gets worse, you know, that week or two before your period. For for me, I was like Jekyll and Hyde, like just so different energetically. The first two weeks of my cycle, I was like, yeah, babe. And it it was really only one good week a month because that first week of my period, I had like wicked cramps. And then like I'd feel good for a week and then go into the luteal phase, the second half of your cycle where you're more insulin resistant, you're cramping. You're bloating, you're craving, you're exhausted, and you're not sleeping as well because your progesterone's lower. So um, you may notice that that happens with the cycle. You may also notice, like, worse brain fog where you get the dropsies, like you get more clumsy as your progesterone um, lowers. I would notice, like, I was grabbing... pans out of the oven without a mitt on. I don't recommend that. I would just like, just take it out of the oven and then drop it on the floor. And it would be like a Brussels sprout explosion. And my husband would be like, do you need a ham with that? I was like, yeah. And, um, so that, that's another thing, but also like the PMDD, the genuine depression and anxiety before your period, like the mental health changes. And listen, you know your body and you're not crazy if you're feeling this it's you're going through perimenopause and if your doctor tells you you're too young that's absolute bullshit because I've women go through perimenopause when or menopause pardon me when they were 29 years old so all sorts of things can ignite and Danny when you lost your mom you may have noticed your cycles changed or when we're getting covid our cycles can change too like grief trauma illness, all of those can also change your cycles too. So you really just want to pay attention. Well, I'm so glad you
0: brought that up because the last year I actually wrote an email subject line. I said, is it grief, hormones, or mental illness? Because there was just this time where I was crying a lot and there was so much going on and I'm like I don't even know if this is hormones if this is grief or if this is like depression a chemical imbalance or something like that and I think it's really interesting because when you mentioned women in antidepressants I've been learning a lot more about this lately that is not called caused by chemical imbalances but so many of us really have um, struggles, mental health struggles, whether that's depression or anxiety, and it's likely due to some kind of hormonal imbalance and doctors aren't really asking and they're not testing either. They're just like listening to some symptoms, writing a script and sending you home. And I, and I realized this happened to me a few years back. I remember this particular day, I was very like suicidal and I just happened to look at the calendar and I remembered I felt that same exact way, like the same day the month before. And that triggered this like, oh, this is maybe hormonal, like the one day of the month where I like want to kill myself. And I was like, this is really, really fascinating and interesting. So I'm glad we're bringing this up too, because, and I even said to my boyfriend at one point, I said, if I ever commit suicide, look on my app, because it will probably be the week before my period. Like Mm. that's the part where I feel the craziest. And I think it's so important that we're talking about it and that you're mentioning this because it's, I think we can get really confused. And you did say like, you know, your body, but I think sometimes we don't because we're gaslit into going well, this is just me being crazy. Like I I did go to the doctor and they did tell me it was fine. So I I must just have mental illness. I must be depressed. I must be bipolar or something because of course they don't mention hormones so we just think we are fucking
2: crazy. Yeah. And you're not fucking crazy. It's really <clears throat> it's it's really not. I actually have a bag it says it's not me it's my hormones. Cuz like <laughs> it is and I but I hate that women are, you know, calling themselves crazy or doubting themselves and that's the real danger of gaslighting. Because it makes you question your own intuition about your body. And every woman's so wise about her body. Like there's never a woman who comes to me who doesn't say, I think it's my hormones or I think it's my cortisol or I feel like I have a gut infection, literally. And I run the test and it all freaking tracks. So we do need to always listen to our body. And if you, it's almost like a good analogy is this, right? Back in the day, did you ever watch like that show, What Not to Wear, with Stacey London? Oh, yeah. right? And she had this point where she was like, just because you're, the clothes you're trying on don't fit you doesn't mean you're fat. It just means the clothes don't fit, right? So just because a doctor says it's not your hormones doesn't mean it's not your hormones. It just means the doctor isn't educated on the subject and you need to find a new doctor. And medicine's a business like anyone else. Like if you went, if you hired a dog walker you didn't like, you'd fire the dog walker and get a new one. Like, And it can be very intimidating to confront a white coat. Uh, But, you know, if you're a non-confrontational person, you can just leave quietly. Do the, uh, you know, the Irish goodbye, as I say, and just (laughs) quietly pack your bags and go and not say a word. But, you know... Can you share some thoughts on hormones
0: prior to this period? So, so many of us have been on birth control pills, hormones all through our 20s, that I think why some of these myths are we don't need hormones and we're hearing like, you shouldn't be on all of these hormones and birth controls because that's messing up your natural hormones. So, how do we know what is our hormones, especially if maybe... Some of the women here are like, I'm on the pill. So my hormones are, quote, regulated. And that's what doctors also tell you. Like, we'll put you on the pill to
2: regulate you. That's right. And, and I always say menopause, or perimenopause is not a contraceptive deficiency. Now, you may need it for contraceptive purposes, <laughs> right? But what contraceptives do, be it the IUD or, you know, the pill is really at the end of the day, the goal is for you not to ovulate or to, you know, change the structure of your uterine lining. So, but the pill in particular really suppresses ovulation because um, you're given synthetic progestins, and so, or uh, and those naturally suppress your own progesterone production, which is why some women will say to me, "I went on the pill and I felt like I was going crazy because it really mm-hmm. tampers with your mood." Progestin, uh, progesterone, and bioidentical progesterone actually makes GABA, which is this very calming neurotransmitter. So in its absence, you can feel a lot of anxiety. So women who I see in practice who have been on the pill for a long time or, you know, during all their childbearing years or just to prevent pregnancy, you know, They were on the pill or they were on the IUD. And what we do is we can test them and work with their doctor if they want to stay on it for birth control or stay on to control these like hemorrhagic periods. You can still slowly bring in bioidentical progesterone while you're even on these birth control devices because they do, you know, your body naturally has a wind down clock where your ovarian production of hormones start to decline. So you can be on the pill, but still you have really low hormone levels. Like when the party's over, it's over. And so you can transition women over to, from the pill or IUD, to bioidentical hormones and just bring them in slowly and strategically. So we should all have peace of mind. We should all have options and know there's no one right way. There's the way you have to think about like, hey, is my husband going to get a vasectomy or... Am I sexually active and dating and don't want to get pregnant? And I still want the IUD and the pill. Great. Just know that you can bring in hormones regardless and support yourself through the process. I love that. And, you know, this
1: kind of goes to the conversation earlier about sort of advocating for yourself. And that's one of the, your chapters in the book is how do you, like you said, it can be hard to confront a white coat. And I love that um, because we all kind of know that feeling, right? Of like, and especially I feel like our parents' generation as well, we're very much like, if they're a doctor, they're basically next to like a pastor at a church, right? Like in terms of <laughs> how much we need to trust them, right? The same level of trust. But what we're seeing is, you know, these doctors are just humans and they maybe didn't get the education that they, and they maybe haven't kept up the education or maybe they don't know the latest and greatest. So what would be an example of like the typical woman, maybe early forties feeling like I know something's going on with my hormones. I'm mm-hmm. having all of these symptoms. I want to get my test on. I go to my, you know, GP and he's like, you're fine. You're only 40 or 38. You should be good. Like, How, how do you push for this or how do you, what would be a script that you could use in that situation? Or is it just, you need to walk away and find someone else? And then how do you maybe find that, that better person?
2: Well, the first half of what you just said was actually perfect. I was like, my work is done here. I don't need to say anything else, but it really is. It's like, Hey, I've done my research I know you're going to tell me not to test my hormones because my hormones are going to fluctuate up to 30% on any given day. That is true. That's a on a blood test. Blood during perimenopause is not necessarily a reliable source. So I do use more extensive tests in my practice. One in particular, it's called the Dutch test. It's a dried urine test for comprehensive hormones. It's a very detailed test that tells you the production of your hormones and how your liver processes them. And it looks at your cortisol. And uh, I do the Dutch complete because it looks at the neurotransmitters in your brain. Mm. But a regular doctor is not trained to do this. So that's when, yes, you do need to pony up some cash and work with a more functional medicine person. And I always say, and and make sure they do the Dutch because just because they're a functional doctor... I have plenty of functional doctors who my clients see who don't have never seen a Dutch in their life. So really make sure you're going to a hormone expert. Um, you can find, if you go on um, ifm.org, that's the Institute for Functional Medicine.org, there's menopause.org. Um, the Dutch test website also has practitioners. And, um, who else? Oh, you can also... And they can work with you. And they can work with you. They can work with me too. Yes, I do work virtually in all 50 states. Yes, I know. But some people like to physically go to a doctor. So I give everybody options. But yes, they can come to me too. And so, um, but yes. And, and so if you want your test done in a doctor's office, at a, at a baseline, you can get a blood test done just to, to kind of see and, and check and say, I do want a hormonal workup. Um, if you're already, if you know you're already seriously perimenopausal slash um, going through menopause or in, in menopause, sorry, uh, you can also say to your doctor, hey, you know what, I've done the research on this. I actually want to start hormone replacement therapy. I, I feel like I could be a good candidate I don't have family history of any issues. I'm feeling great, feeling healthy or I do have a family history, but I still want to explore it if that's something you want to explore. Again, I've had clients whose doctors literally say, "If you're good talk to me about hormones, I get out, like I'm not going to have this conversation with you," which is horrible. Like they feel so unsafe in those situations. Or they may say, "Sure, I'm totally open to it." But again, you want to work with someone who really knows hormones? Because a good hormone expert is going to retest your blood once you go on hormones. You should get your blood tested three to four times a year. That's just medically responsible because hormones have a trajectory. It's not like the pill where you kind of go on one and maybe you'll change once or twice. But you kind of stay on track. But you, with uh, you know hormone replacement therapy, you do your trajectory can change. Your body does have an adaptation period of like three to six months. So you just want to work with someone who knows what they're doing. And yes, find the path of least resistance. Find someone who's going to listen to you, partner with you. You know, that's one thing I pride myself on where my clients will always say, I feel like you just listened and honored my journey. Because guess what else? Like a lot of my clients don't even want to do hormones. I'm like, great, let's work around that. Like I'm here to serve you. So just tell me what you need and what you want. And All I can do is educate them and empower them to make a decision that gives them peace of mind about their bodies. That's the goal, right?
0: Well, in your book, you talk a lot at the beginning about removing environmental toxins and things that affect our estrogens, plastics. And we've been hearing a lot about this. We actually just did a a podcast episode recently on removing toxins and sometimes people going like to the... Yeah, non-toxic living and some people going to the (laughs) extreme. But if you are... If, if someone's coming to you, do you usually recommend that they try to do all of these natural things before going on on uh, bio de- bioidenticals, or is it sometimes a both and, like, let's start you on bioidenticals and also let's clean up your surroundings, or do you really feel like it's better to, like, do all the natural things, quote, natural
2: things first and then see where you land. No, because I think you should work as aggressively and quickly as possible because the transformative effects of hormones are freaking phenomenal. And you can see results in a couple of days. So imagine like you haven't been sleeping for years. You've been hot flashing. You're just so irritable, miserable. You're having vaginal dryness. You have no libido. You've gained all this weight you're insulin resistant, and all of a sudden, like, somebody puts out the fire, and you're like, wow, I am sleeping. Just, I mean, there's a reason why terrorists use sleep deprivation as a form of torture. Like, it is very real. So imagine you start sleeping through the night. Okay, then all of a sudden your blood sugar starts to regulate your insulin starts to regulate in a short period of time and you have more energy you don't have brain fog you don't want to tear anyone in your house a new one on any given moment right <laughs> like you start feeling yourself and then you know after about 6 to 8 weeks that vaginal dryness is so much less painful and sex isn't painful and you're not like peeing all the time with an overactive bladder like so the, the results are so great and they really don't take too long to be seen. So, but yes, you do need to change your lifestyle. If you think you can party like a rock star and be on hormones, you're doing yourself like a big disservice because, so here's the hard line, ladies, with alcohol. And believe me, I love to drink. Like Jill and I, we had a nice cocktail and we saw each other. But but I'm judicious about it because alcohol does raise your circulating estrogen for like four to six hours after a cocktail because your liver says, well, I can either detox estrogen, which is a hormone, or I can detoxify the toxin, the poison that's in my system, (laughs) which is alcohol, right? So I've got to get the alcohol out and then estrogen. I'm coming for you later. So women can still be estrogen dominant, even in menopause. So just be kind and gentle to yourself. If you're drinking every night, Cut back to once a week, right? Cut back and find other ways to manage your stress. Workouts, deep breathing, you know, journaling, like taking some chill herbs at night. And, you know, that can really help you too. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a good time to evaluate. And not to mention it messes with your blood sugar for sure. And you had mentioned
1: that yeah. in perimenopause and in menopause, you're more insulin resistant. Why is that like and also from a mm. lifestyle perspective how can we how can we sort of adjust for that with what we can do with food and exercise or movement or stress management or whatever?
2: Yeah so you do become more insulin resistant when your hormones decline your cortisol tends to rise your sleep gets disrupted it just takes as little as two weeks of disrupted sleep to dysregulate your insulin. So, and often too, you know, a lot of women, about 32% of women develop like a fatty liver from insulin resistance when they're in menopause. So the good news is, I know this feels very doom and gloom as I'm saying it, I'm like, well, shit, this sounds dark, but I'm telling you, this is reversible and you can get your life back. And I do look at labs of women before, during and after and the improvements are phenomenal, phenomenal. So just know that, whatever you're going through is temporary. So, and a lot of the times with the, with uh, menopause comes insulin resistance not because our metabolism's physically slow down, but because we slow down. We're exhausted from being up all night. Or our cortisol is like scraping the bottom of the bowl and we have no energy. Well, what brings back your cortisol curve is some adrenal support and some hormones. And then, you know, you can walk every day. What First thing in the morning really regulates your circadian rhythm, lowers your cortisol, burns fat. Walking for 10 minutes after a meal lowers your blood sugar by 17%. And if you lift weights, you know, as a menopausal woman, the research doesn't even show a benefit between two versus three times a week. And I am a lazy ass. So if all I have to lift is two days a week, I'm psyched. (laughs) I walk a lot every day, but lifting, I enjoy it. I just don't seem to be able to like drag myself to do it more than two to three times a week. I'm like, eh, I'd rather be walking outside. So, but those little things make a huge difference. And then... You know, optimizing your protein, most women just don't get enough protein. They, they, And I tease them. I'm like, congratulations, you have the protein intake of my dialysis patient in the hospital. That's like how I roast people. <laughs> <laughs> but honestly, <laughs> we need a minimum of 100 to like 120 grams of protein, of 150. Wow. I see the greatest changes in women when they bump it up. Because it regulates your blood sugar, you're optimizing muscle mass and bone density, you are optimizing your dopamine and serotonin, so your energy, your adrenals, so much better. And like your cravings really resolve much better with protein than without.
0: It's interesting just kind of what this full circle is, right? It's like taking care of your body takes care of your hormones. Your hormones take care of your mental health. If you're feeling good about yourself, it's easier to take care of your body. So it's like this full cycle. And I feel like it could even be the backwards cycle too. Like you start eating b- bad, your hormones get bad, you start to feel bad. And I'm wondering how many divorces are actually caused by hormones. <laughs> yeah, this is the
2: highest percentage of divorce happens in this age bracket. But mm. here's the other thing about the other insight is that, I mean, like you really do lose your filter when you lose estrogen. It You just do. And you're like, and plus you're in your 50s. So you've been around the block a thousand times. You're like, built your businesses, you've you know had kids, if you've had kids, you've maybe lost a parent, like you just don't have time for the bs anymore and you certainly don't have the tolerance for it anymore. You can smell it a mile away and you're like, "No." So, that I believe <laughs> and also like a lot of women in their, this age if they've married, you know, younger, Right. Uh, This is a time when they kind of have a very different perspective. I do think, you know, sorry, men, I just think women really work on themselves a lot more in this phase of life, whereas men are more content. They're like, I'm good. I'm really good. But women really focus on their self-development, especially if they've had kids and those kids leave the house. They're like, it's my time now. What am I? What's next for me? Well, especially if we're having all these,
1: you know, changes in hormones and that we're constantly getting the signal that like things are different. And so, you know, Danny and I have been having this conversation now on this podcast and in person for like probably a year now around everything from like, why am I tired to what's going on with my sleep to like, you know, just small things. (laughs) And and to your point, sometimes it happens so slowly that like you're, you don't realize it's perimenopause because you're just like am I 40 or is this perimenopause? You know what I mean? You kind of just have these small, but it happens so slowly. So I think for women, we're so in tune with those changes. It forces you to be more introspective, right? So like you kind of want to get to the bottom of it. Whereas I think for men, they don't have as many obviously hormonal shifts as we do. So they're kind of just going. But for us, we're Danny and I are constantly like she, I'll just say it's because we say everything on this podcast, but like a couple months ago, Danny was like, my period is literally like I'm like soaking through a tampon in like five minutes. Like, yeah. and it's yeah. so, and she just like, we're talking about it because, and so then you go, yeah, you start to get inquisitive. Like what is going on? And I think yeah. for men, maybe they just don't have, they don't have the prompts frankly that we
2: have to, to work on themselves. That's right. And by the way, those heavy hemorrhagic periods are, it's really a loss of progesterone. It's not there to oppose estrogen. So, bringing progesterone in, like you don't even have to wait till you're in menopause. You can bring it in the second half of your cycle, which is really beneficial. Believe me,
1: we're all we're all going on hormones. Cycle. <laughs> I know. Just don't worry about it's it. It's like you, the
2: Botox, the hormones. Let's just light it all up, yeah. man. Let's do this because <laughs> no, I
0: have, I actually did just start on progesterone about four weeks ago after my last cycle. So this <sighs> I'm coming up on my first one after. So we'll see how my period is, but I'm like crossing my fingers because. I was, of course, you're Googling symptoms, trying to figure it out. So I'm like, I have adenomyosis or endometriosis. I'm going to need surgery. And I was going down this path of, I need to make an appointment with my OB. And instead, I... I don't know I came across an ad or something on Instagram and took a quiz and I ended up um, getting on bioidenticals just about four weeks ago and I'm just waiting to see I'm like my first period should be starting this week and I'm I'm kind of excited like let's see how this period goes and if it's
2: terrible or not did you feel that super supreme depression that you felt last couple times Um, not as much uh, with the depression,
0: but like pain and Mm. like, I've never had so much pain. Like I was in tears, Mm -hmm. bad cramps, massive bloating. Like I was like, I couldn't leave the house. I showed my boyfriend my stomach I'm like I look like I'm about six months pregnant I've never had that kind of bloating and pain before so and it's it's almost been like the last six eight months of this extreme moods and then the periods have been wild too and of course the pain was when I started worrying I'm going I've never had this kind of pain before so yeah we'll see but I started on um, and I will say uh I took the quiz again and there's already some improvements in some of my symptoms that I didn't even really notice so that's good I'm like something's working Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah yeah it's going to get better. I'm telling you, it's going to get better. (laughs) Just keep, keep, it really does quite a bit.
1: So let's say, well, yeah, let's say someone is listening to this and they're like, okay, yes, check, check, check. I'm definitely a candidate for this thing. So you suggest that first, like, first order of business is let's get the Dutch test. That's the first one people should start with. Are there other tests? Because this is a baseline, right? Yeah. You said every three to four months we need to be getting our labs redone. And so, you know, I mean, I guess that's also the good thing about being this age, too. Typically, you know, women in their 40s, 50s typically have a little bit more expendable income, you know, to, like, spend on, you know, paying out of pocket oftentimes for this. But, like, what are some of the baseline tests to get done what are we looking for specifically does even stuff like thyroid play into it like where are we at with Mm -hmm. all that stuff
2: Yeah, so in my book, See You Later, Ovilier, I have a whole list of blood tests to have done in addition to, I'll I'll go into the three types of tests. So first is blood, and you can get these covered under insurance. The trick is going to be getting your doctor to prescribe all of these, because again, a doctor's going to say, I don't know why I need to prescribe all of these. You're a healthy, a doctor would look at either of you and say, you're healthy, you don't need all these tests, right? And so I asked a colleague of mine who's a doctor why this is. I said, why don't doctors prescribe all these tests? He said, because if they prescribe a test that's outside the scope of their normal practice and something's wrong, then they have to follow up on it. I mean, can you imagine like a doctor actually has to handle medical care? (laughs) It's ridiculous. I'm (laughs) being sarcastic. I'm waiting for the lab. It's fucking nuts. So anyway... First of all, you want to look at fasting insulin and glucose, and you could do your hemoglobin A1c. You want to see if you're insulin resistant because that shows up early. And um, you know, you want your fasting insulin to be somewhere in the range of three to five. You really don't want it above that. A doctor will look at that. Uh, we'll look at an insulin of eighteen and say, "Oh, well, you're you're in the normal range. You're not diabetic. You, you certainly are on the verge if you're." Fasting insulin is that high because we have to remember too the normal in this country is Homer Simpson. That is the prototype for normal, but normal is not optimal at all. So insulin, you do want a full thyroid panel with you know T three and T four and reverse T three and TSH. A lot of doctors just test TSH, which is a very poor excuse for a thyroid panel. Mm. Um, And then you also want to get your inflammatory markers done because. Remember earlier I talked about that fatty liver and kind of getting more inflamed as our midsection. You know, we get a muffin top, or the muffin top turns into a cake top. So, under those circumstances, your cardiac risk increase. Just crack it. Your cardiac I'm risk like, does increase. So you want why to you gotta, look at
1: why you got to why you got to point it out like that. <laughs> <laughs>
2: no, I mean like like Listen. I feel like I'm being called out. Oh, you with the belly shirt and the flat stomach? I don't think so. I'm calling myself out because honestly, like (laughs) I I struggle a a bit right now with the menopause. I'm working on it myself. It's it's very real. And even on my hormones and working out, I'm still in like my body's just in a weird transitional place. So I'm like, okay, just I know how to dress where I feel confident and I don't give it too much mental real estate. But I am... No different than you. I do not have the bikini body I had in my 20s, that's for sure. So, um, but I'm working at, it, you know. Uh, so you also want to get like your apolipoprotein B, your um, CRP, like homocysteine. There's a whole cardiac panel you want to check. And you can check triglycerides. Um Cholesterol, you can check. I don't obsess about cholesterol. I kind of look at the big picture because also, if you have gut inflammation, that can impact the labs too. So I do, in addition to the Dutch test, I love to do the GI map because the other really big change we get is in gut health, is in bloating, and uh, and so, and I do have many gut infections still cooking from like when I had Lyme and mold. So we're just slowly clearing that out. And that can cause a lot of bloating. But basically, you have a subset of bacteria in your gut called the estrobolum that specifically metabolize estrogen. I mean, how cool is that? So if you've got inflammation, if you've got these low-grade chronic infections, I see a ton of like Giardia and E. coli and H. pylori in my practice. I'm shocked how much, how many parasites and pathogens I see on the daily. So um, you do want to get ruled out for that because the better your gut health is, the better you detox estrogen. We detox estrogen in the liver and we detox it in the gut. So that's it when you kind of said, well, what's the housekeeping order? Do we have to have this perfect lifestyle? In a perfect world, I do want to see your gut health and your detox pathways support it because then you also decrease your risk of cancer, especially if you have um a family history and you decrease your risk of feeling like absolute crap on hormones because hormones some people feel absolutely shitty when they take them and they're like I feel like I was going crazy and I was crying all the time or I got migraines or you know it's not this like perfect unicorns and fairies situation for some people they really don't tolerate them so I'm like did you check your detox pathways? Can we look at how you methylate? Because if you suck, at, if, if your liver is just not methylene well, if you have MTFHR genes or altered pathways, then yeah, you do need to support yourself first so that you can go on hormones in conjunction and feel good. What
1: are some of the... I have a look, question we, at- for gut health. Like, When you say H. pylori and like, you know, some of these parasites and stuff like I'm like, is that just inevitable or can we do some things from a nutritional perspective to take care of our gut?
2: So stress management is actually one of the big things. So a a big question I get is like, what if I can't, I can't do all this testing or, you know, it feels really overwhelming to me. Here's the thing is that most of the testing points back to lifestyle. You've got to die on the lifestyle. So stress management is key. Why is that even more important than diet? Because if your body's in a place of fight or flight, let's say you have a history of trauma that isn't really, hasn't been addressed or healed, or let's say that you are in an unhappy marriage or just you just got a busy job or you're a caretaker of a parent, you know, Managing your stress is key because your body in a state of fight or flight is not going to want to digest. It's just going to want to rest, right? And so your blood in fight or flight is directed to your extremities. It's not directed to your gut. So your stomach acid production goes down. Well, Mm -hmm. stomach acid is the firewall that keeps out all these pathogens. Like if you've got fire in your belly, quite literally, then you really are far less susceptible. You can have H. pylori and have it not affect you at all. That happens a lot of times. People have it, but really have zero symptoms. Um, and you don't get Giardia or E. coli. You expose, you get exposed to it and it just passes through. Your immune system handles it. So stress management is key. Um, chewing your food. I mean, your, your, your uh, stomach doesn't have teeth. Digestion really begins in the mouth. So you have to digest. You gotta like sit down when you eat. You can't just like snort lines of chocolate chips off the countertop. You have to actually sit and like calm down. I. I dare, I dare. I snorted many myself. I face planted, face planted into potato chips. But, um, but yeah, it's like the the stress is key. The meditation. I, I really have like gotten so down and dirty with meditation. I've done almost two years straight and not missed a night. I'm a convert. Um, so Amazing. I think that's really key. And then, you know, again, the daily movement, you have to move your ass. Just, you have to move your ass every day. Got Eli quality protein. And if you just do the foundations, like the rest really does take care of itself. You know, you watch your alcohol. Careful. If you don't tolerate coffee, you respect your body's intolerance to coffee. You know, just... All the things, the common sense things that get so overlooked, you know, but it's All really the fun basic stuff. actually. No, <laughs> <I kidding. know. laughs>
0: All the stuff we know we need to do. Just a good reminder. I have a question about this because it's kind of been trendy lately and I've been seeing a lot about it. And I don't know if you know much about it or not, or if you have any thoughts, but peptides. Mm. I've seen so many people talking about peptides and how certain peptides can help increase your hormones. So do you do anything with those or what are your thoughts on peptides right now? Yeah,
2: I think they can be amazing. But again, without the foundations in place, you can't out-peptide your lifestyle Um, and B they're super pricey. So, you know, again, like it's, it, it is, it's nice. If you've got the extra cash, absolutely go nuts. It's, it's great, but you know, start foundationally building up first, get, get your levels, even tested. see what you even need. You may not even need them, but if you are a good candidate and you're working with a practitioner, who does them, they can be really helpful. Um, something I didn't address either is intermittent fasting. You know, here's the really cool thing. So when I wrote cave women, don't get fat, I looked at 73 studies on intermittent fasting and only 13 were done on women. They're just, there's not a lot of research done on women. It's always done on men and monkeys, which is bonkers. So, um, You know, but in my own case study of treating hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of patients over the years, I have seen that menopausal women do far better on intermittent fasting and long, like, you know, six to eight hour eating windows versus menstruating women or menstruating women do better in the first half of their cycle but not the second half of their cycles. So that's the good part is it can be a really great fat loss tool once you've hit menopause as and you just, mm. you don't have the monthly swings. So this is like the serious upside of menopause, right? You don't have the monthly swings, mood's more stable, no, you know, cramps, like, you know, not knowing if you're going to like be near a bathroom in time where you're like not going to explode all over the place. So there are like a lot, <laughs> a lot of lava upsides because <laughs> we've all had those cool. like outrageous bleeds. I mean, we've all had them. It's like. Yeah. And I mean, yes.
1: And and I guess and this is something Danny and I talk about all the time. I would just be, be super real with you. Like, I think one of the things that's maybe the scariest, and maybe we can speak to this, you know, as – women, I feel like as you age and as you go through menopause and you're postmenopausal, like, you just lose, like, the look of, like, a woman. Like, you kind of start to look like a dude. You know what I mean? And it makes sense because you're losing your hormones, right? If you're not – like, you know what I mean? In a way, I kind of feel – like I'm, I'm personally like a little bit worried about that. And so is there anything, does hormones help with that to keep more of like a youthful look? I mean, I know this is super, I mean, I guess we can call this superficial, but at the end of the day, like, yeah. I, you know, you want to feel vital. You want, you know, a vagina yes. that it has moisture. You want like, you know, you like you want yes. you, your hair not to fall out. Like, so, or is that just yes. inevitable? And it just is, it just is what it is. Or are there ways that we can, you know, circumvent this or yeah. hormones impact this?
2: Well, I'm 52. Do I look like a dude with no hair? No. Okay. No. Well, there you go. So, <laughs> so talk about an anxiety. That's that's my daily anxiety.
1: <laughs> I definitely do not I'm like a dude with no hair. <laughs> <laughs> and I need
0: a wig. I need a wig affiliate deal. I need like, "Oh my god!" All right. First of all, do both...
2: I look like a dude with no hair? <laughs> No. both of there you are go. smoking hot. So whatever you're pitching here, I'm not buying it, but, um, <laughs> but no, first of all, okay, just, let's just talk about the vaginal moisture situation. Okay. Follow the work of Dr. Rachel Rubin, who I am, I ascribe to her theory where she is not even a theory. It's fact. She's a, um, she's an amazing physician and she's like every woman she's a urologist. She's like from the age of 45 on. Get on vaginal estrogen, even if you're not dry now, because it will prevent the atrophy. It will prevent the dryness. It will prevent literally your walls from like collapsing in on themselves and it will prevent an overactive bladder. I know, it's like, are you laughing or crying? <laughs> I uh, both. I'm
0: like I'm literally I'm horrified. horrified. I'm like you just said vaginal. I you said vaginal atrophy yeah. and walls collapsing and I started crying.
2: It's a thing. <laughs> I'm telling you it's a thing if it if, if you don't intervene. But if you intervene and even if you've had it happen, it can be reversed, okay? Mm. And the cool thing is like the the Framingham nurses study looked at women on vaginal estrogen for 18 years. There is no increased risk of cancer from this. It stays mm. localized. These are micro doses. Anytime I'm talking about bioidentical hormones, they're a fifth of the dose of the birth control pill. These are micro doses. You're not supposed to get your period. You're not supposed to look like a man either, but you're just supposed to get enough to offset the risk of bone loss, uh, Alzheimer's, and heart disease. So small doses that can also prevent that hair loss, that can also prevent that crepey, wrinkled skin that makes you feel old and bald. And, um, you know, and and again, all the lifestyle pieces, Jill, like you have so much muscle mass, that is the organ of longevity. That is like the fountain of youth is found in a steak and a set of barbells because you keep your hormone levels so happy lifting weights and you've got extra growth hormone, you're managing your insulin better, <clears throat> your decreased risk of falls and fractures. Like there's so many incredible things that muscle does that we're just learning about now like all the anti-inflammatory benefits it's incredible so it's not inevitable none of this is inevitable and like do the work look at all the gorgeous women in there look at Helen Mirren look at um oh my gosh well Oprah looks amazing although I mean Oprah's had a lot of work done by now right can we just agree on that but she still looks freaking fabulous she's in the best shape of her life um, and there are so many, all I know, all I know is that you're
0: never ugly. You're just broke. So Jill, you never have to worry about it. as long as we all have money, we can fix anything from the neck up can be fixed by surgery. Oh my God. Even hair, hair transplants, surgeries. It's all, it could all be fixed as long as you got money. No
1: hair. That's
2: going to be our, <laughs> our promotional, promotional piece for this episode like, really Oh know? my God. It doesn't okay, have to be inevitable. We don't have to look old and craggy. And like, I feel like society has these projections of what 60 is supposed to look like. And it just doesn't look like that anymore. Look at Demi Moore. She is 60, ladies. She's got a banging body. And yes, she's had some work done on her face, but... You know, aside from that, she still looks incredible. Like, it can be like that. It doesn't have to be a shit show. We're going to get in trouble on this podcast because we've had people reach
1: (laughs) out and say, you shouldn't use the word anti-aging. Like, we should embrace Uh, aging. And my whole thing is, we do embrace aging. We did a whole episode on this because we have to, right? So at the end of the day, you kind of go, well, it's happening whether or not we want it to. So we we have to get right with it. But if there are things that we can do to, first and foremost, feel better. Like, I think we'd all agree on this, uh, that, like, number one thing is, like, we want to feel better, right? Like, so, yeah, yeah, you know, of course, (laughs) I want to keep my hair and whatever, but at the end of the day, like, first and foremost, (laughs) I want to feel better. I want to get rid of the the anxiety and the sleep issues and, you know, and not feel uh, just ragey at times and just all the, and forgetful, you know, I mean, because I think we can attribute so much to that just getting older, walking into a room and being like, why am I in here again? What was I coming in here for? Like, all these sort of brain fog things. Like, I think first and foremost, that's the most important thing is feeling better. But if there are ways that we can still feel confident in our appearance, right? Like, I don't... Like, to me, it's not about... Like, I'm always... We're always gonna look older than a 25 year old, right? No matter what. It's like, as much, I can get as much work done as possible, and I'm I'm 41. I'm never gonna look, have the youthful look of like someone who's in their 20s or 30s anymore. But to your point, can I be the best version of me at 41 or 55 or 70? And I think that's more what we're talking about is not. You know, not like screaming and crying and not being like I'm getting older. Everyone's getting older, right? So it's inevitable. But how can we do it in a way that feels good for us? And I think it's a really personal journey, right? It's like it's like you can do whatever you need to do for you. I feel like there aren't rules anymore, you know. And so we've just had people say to us like, "Don't say anti-aging" or just very much like embrace it. And like, and I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, we are embracing because we have to. But still, right? There's an asterisk there where it's like, but can I do it in a way that I still feel confident and happy?
2: Well, that's it. And that to me is the greatest confidence is the greatest anti-aging tool. And if it means you go on hormones and peptides, great. If you want to do this without hormones and you want to optimize your diet and lifting weights, Great. Like, it's personal choice. That's empowerment. And a woman should be able to do whatever she wants with her body. That's her choice. That is like, you see a happy woman, that's a woman who's going to look great. If she has wrinkles, if she has gray hair, if, you know, as long as she feels really good and powerful in herself, that to me is is the great thing and that's that's honestly what I love the most about this age it's like you're out of you're fresh out of fucks you just are like (laughs) fresh out of filters that's for sure and you're like I have such good energy I feel so much better now than I have since I was like you know 40 I would say I've really gotten my health and my life back I feel so much better I love
0: that. So we're fresh out of Fox, (laughs) fresh out of filters. And so Esther, you were so, you gave us so much information and really cool things to think about and to do. I'm like, uh, while you were talking, I already pulled up the menopause.org. I pulled up ifm.org. I pulled up Dutch test and I'm like ready to book with you. Yeah. (laughs) So where else can people find you and get your book? You're one of, you said five books. Yes. Definitely five. Go, did you say yeah, wow. five. Hey,
2: girl. And I'm going to probably do a six, spoiler alert. But um, so go to Esther. Oh, yes. Yes, it's going to be great. It's going to be so freaking awesome. So um, go to estherblum.com. That's E S T H E R B L U M. Please get my weekly newsletters. I am just all about empowering you with amazing education. Um, depending on when this comes out, I started a group coaching program, a, a menopause mentorship. So you can get on the priority notification list for that. Um, And on Instagram, uh, you can also find me on Instagram at Gorgeous Esther. And my book is on Amazon or you can find it through my website. But yeah, Gorgeous because my first books were all, you know, Eat, Drink, and Be Gorgeous and a series from that. So that was very much an ode to my 20s. And there was a whole chapter in there on hangover recovery that I personally had to research and, you know, Learn from. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I
1: love this so much. And you and I have been connected for a long time now. I mean, gosh, did we meet in 2009, maybe 2008? Um, early
2: days. I feel like I mean, it was just before been... that. You were still getting your master's degree was. when I met you. That's how long. So when did you get oh, your geez, master's so this degree? this was like 2007.
1: Yeah, 2007, 2008. Yeah. And I just love, I've seen you through several of your books, and um, this one is really amazing. So make sure you guys get this. It's called See You Later, Ovulator. And make sure you're following Esther Esther on Instagram, too, because your your Instagram is, like, so chock full of, like, just amazing Mm. education for women in this time in their life. And so it's, like, you're giving away stuff in there that, like, people would pay $1,000 for. So make sure that you guys are following gorgeous Esther on Instagram. I love what you've been doing with the videos lately and um, definitely want to get your information there. And please connect with her. Can people uh, reach out to you about
2: your practice if they're interested in getting testing and doing all that stuff? Totally. There's a link to apply in my bio on Instagram and on my website. There's a a, co- a page all about coaching and how we work with clients. So, and I just I have to say I love the hell out of both of you, and uh, it's been fun watching you. I I do love your podcast, and Jill, I'm highly addicted to Fit Biz You also that is like, I literally am walking. I'm like I feel so seen right now. Like you're just. I really, some of those episodes are just fire. I love them. They're so great. And really, both of you inspire me. You have done so much. I've really watched your trajectories of your careers and your lives. It's it's awesome. It's really great.
0: It's been really cool to just see each other through the years and see all the things you've done. And, and now that we're on this journey together of... Uh, Menopause in life, and maybe we'll have you on in another 10 years after we go through no, just- <laughs> After we look like men and we're after bald. After we go through then, yes, exactly. <laughs> I no hair we'll, just, we'll just have a follow up. Yeah, we'll have a follow up when Jill's bald and looks like a man, and then we'll figure that out. <laughs> Do not put that into the
1: universe. I'm getting on hormones. No. Oh my God. no. <laughs>
2: Oh, no, no, you are no. the best. Thank uh, you so much for
1: taking the time uh, to uh, educate our audience. Gosh, you gave us so many gems, and we just appreciate it. We've literally been saying for like a year we need to get someone on like you, and this is an amazing opportunity to do it with the book out. Um, and so, yeah, everyone connect with Esther. She's amazing, and we will see you guys on the next episode. Bye, guys.
0: Bye.